today on the Below Average Joe's MMA Show. We go to Salt Lake City, Utah for UFC 278, where two familiar foes square off this time with gold on the line. We also take it to London, England, where week three of the PFL playoffs are underway. Kayla Harrison looks to cement herself as one of the pound-for-pound best women in the world. Also, we got Shane Burgos, like a thief in the night, leaving the UFC for greener pastures at the PFL. Say it ain't so, Dom. We got all this and more, and it all starts right now. Welcome, everyone, to episode 231, Yes, but technically episode one Ooh. of the rebranded, better than ever, Below Average Joe's, oh, sorry, 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 the Below Average Joe's MMA show. Yeah, trademark pending. <clears throat> Correct. <laughs> uh, we're still the same two guys. Yeah. Giving you the good good. Twice yeah. a week. Yeah. Previews, recaps, everything in between. Mm. So don't buy freak out. Just a slight rebrand. But yeah. I think it's going to be something that, while on the surface seems very small, we're very serious that year three, fiscal year three. Yes, yes. Is going to be our biggest, our baddest, our best yet. Yes. The man to my right, my co-host, Dominic Slee, the man who is... Been there for 231 episodes now. I've yeah. been here for like 227. So, I mean, we're... That's we're, a lot still. We're batting like in the 900s. So, yeah. you know, put us in the Hall of Fame. Dominic, how are you? I am doing great, Noah. The juices, dare I say, the creative juices have been flowing between us two lately as we do come into this name change, the rebrand change. But it's all for the best because we are a podcast at heart. We're giving you two podcast episodes a week. Ain't nothing changing, baby. But we're taking a twist. We're going to branch out. We're going to experiment. We're going to bring you guys more content than ever, dare I say. Technically. And we're super excited for it. And by being called the show, we feel that we can just... it's, It's no holds barred. We're no longer strapped down to being labeled as the podcast. We can do it all. So I'm super excited, very much excited for fiscal year three alongside my wonderful co-host, Noah Baker. But I'm doing really good outside of that as well. Life's good, right? Treating me well. I got a little date planned with the girly tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that because we know we do some distance, so it's nice to get some time with her. Everything's just clicking right now, Noah. How are you doing? Are you clicking? Are you clacking as we hop in to the weekend preview? I got a weird itch and I can't reach it. Um, <laughs> I am doing great. Um, I feel very creatively fulfilled right now. Yeah. Fiscal year three. I told Dominic this over text. Not sure. Can't guarantee that it's going to be our most successful year yet. But I can guarantee, creatively speaking, yes, we will be fulfilled. That's right. Because we're serious about kicking this thing up a notch. Yes. Sure. The, re- the rebrand, the name change, it's small potatoes, right? You guys don't care about calling us the MMA show, the MMA podcast, whatever. This is the podcast, right? Right. This is episode 231. It's the same kind of material you guys have gotten used to up to this point. 
We don't plan on changing that anytime soon. But like Dominic said, what's important for us, we don't want to go stale. We want to find our niche in this this, um, environment, in this um, MMA community. You know, there's a dime a dozen podcasts out there. Yeah, they go over MMA, and while I like to, you know, say you could put us up against the best of them, mm-hmm. um, what's going to make someone come to our channel, come to our Spotify page, and go? Let me listen to these guys. Let me watch these guys. Yep, it's not going to be the podcast, unfortunately. As much as I, hey, look, we appreciate all the support on it, and, we're, and it's still our bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, but we we recognize that. We need to find other avenues right. to to broaden the audience, to find more people that want to watch us, to find what our creative corner of the MMA market is. Yes. So you're going to see that revealed in the coming weeks. Yes. Now, what I can tell you right now is a familiar segment is sort of being branched off from the podcast and made its own, yep. and that's verbal sparring. Ooh. Of course, the former Reddit roundtable, now verbal sparring. Um, that's where we answer all the biggest, all the, the most glaring questions in the community. And me and Dominic go head-to-head, toe-to-toe. Um, or we are in agreement, which we, 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 sure. we, we're in agreement quite a bit. <laughs> but it's just to give our thoughts on what everything going on in the community. And you can be a part of that. Yes. We want your questions. So this is a shameless plug. Of course. Um, if you go to the link, let's see, there's a link in the description of today's episode, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, whether you watch it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever. If you go to me or Dom's Twitter, probably yes. Dominic's Instagram. I think my Instagram still has the points bet link to it. So if you go to me or Dom's Twitter, which you can go, or Dom's Instagram, which uh, Dominic is at dsleeve 14 I am at ntbaker underscore, and then I believe it's in the bio of our Below Average Joe's Twitter or Instagram. Is that correct? Yes. Which you can now follow us ah. on the new, the Bajma. The Bajma. Bajma. However you want to say it. Which, uh... For anyone on audio, is at the B A J M M A. Yes, pretty simple. Yeah. So if you go to the link there, it'll take you to the link tree. Whole host of links there. Go check out that Points Bet Sportsbook link. I'll be plugging that here in a minute. Mm-hmm. But at uh, towards the bottom, there is a link to leave a voice message through our anchor page. If you go there, uh, you can leave up to sixty seconds, just a little voice message. What's your question? Uh, you don't have to have your voice featured if you feel kind of weird about that. Just tell us in the message, hey, I don't want to be featured, but here's my question. You can do it that way. Or if you don't even want to do the voice feature, comment on this episode, yep. comment on Spotify, yep. comment on the Instagram post, on the yep. Twitter post, yep. and ask your question. You can DM them to us directly. However you want to do it, you can do it that way. So. We really want to get more and more of your guys' questions. What's really on your mind? Mm -hmm. And uh, we will be bringing that to you. What's the date for that, Dom? Uh Uh-oh. Damn it. It will be... So it'll be Thursday, uh, August 25th. Yes. A week from from when they are seeing this episode. Correct. Yes. 
Yeah, because next week, of course, the UFC having an off week, there will be no card. But as you guys know, no week's off around here. Yeah. So that'll be our episode for next week. And then we will have two episodes the week after. I'm going a bit on a limb by saying that. But there is some content brewing. Yes. You guys will not want to miss that following Monday. Um, you'll hear more details as it gets closer. But it's going to be big for this channel. I truly believe that. And uh, Dominic, anything else before I move into the PointsBet Sportsbook plug? Let's get into it. Okay. So, PointsBet Sportsbook is now the official betting partner of the Below Average Joe's MMA show. Yes. Um, there are two ways that our viewers, listeners, anyone watching this can make good on PointsBet Sportsbook's new sort of deal for our listeners. Uh, that deal, of course, is they will match on your initial deposit if you sign up today up to $2,000, 100% match that. Um, there's two ways to do it. There's a link in my Instagram bio. It's it's in the uh, the link tree, so it's really in all of our bios. If you go everywhere, there, yeah, um, it'll take you to that link for a sign up. Uh, the the code will already be in there, so all you got to do is sign up like normal, and you get the bonus. Yeah. Um, if you would rather just download the PointsBet Sportsbook app directly and do it from there, you can. But at sign up, you'll need to put in code MMA Joes. Yes, sign up. That's MMA Joes. And you'll get the bonus. So thank you, PointsBet Sportsbook. They are, of course, going to be their odds on the screen when we talk about the UFC. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe, do they have their PFL odds up yet? Is it just UFC? Just, just UFC, UFC, right. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about the UFC 278. Salt Lake City, Utah, Vivit Arena, UFC 278. I said it in the intro, two familiar foes here, Kamaru Usman the Nigerian nightmare, the pound-for-pound best fighter in the entire UFC, the welterweight champion of the world, he looks to tie Anderson Silva's record of 16 consecutive wins inside of the UFC. But to do that, he's going to have to go in and defeat once again a very hungry challenger in Leon Edwards. Now the odds tell the odds are heavily respecting Kamaru Usman's chances here. He of course has never lost inside the UFC, fifteen and zero. Um, he has been a very dominant welterweight champion. He pretty much dominated Leon Edwards in their first fight way back. That was Leon Edwards, I believe, de- or excuse me, Kamaru Usman's debut or second fight after the Ultimate Fighter finale. Yeah. Um, for Leon, it was like his fourth in the company. So very early on in their careers. Usman, super wrestling heavy at the time. Um, but Usman, a minus 375 favorite. Leon Edwards, plus 290 as it stands right now. Dominic, what does interest you about this fight? Because I do think there is a sort of passe feeling to this. I mean, I think people really res- are starting to respect Usman as the pound-for-pound great that he is. He's chasing greatness, right? He's chasing these records. He's chasing GSP for most of us. That's how we feel. If you're Dana, you think he's already passed GSP. Yeah. But in terms of the actual fight itself, I don't see a ton of people really loving the matchup. Not sort of, sort of not really getting the same 
sort of butterflies they might have got for a Masvidal matchup or or a Colby Covington matchup, something that could produce fireworks. Uh, what 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 do you think when you look at this matchup? Does it fire you up a little bit, or are you a little more? Uh, you know, I like the fight, but maybe not going to be the most exciting fight when it goes down. Yeah, I feel like I lean more toward the latter there, that statement. But there is still intrigue regardless because Kamar Usman has shown over his title reign, really in specific, the ever-improving skill set that he's carrying on the feet with his hands. Um, and Leon Edwards, what is he known for? His hands. He's one of the best boxers in the UFC, one of the best boxers in the welterweight division. So it's a matter of is Kamar Usman going to get so kind of uh, – caught up in his striking and the success he's had lately that he's going to try and stand five rounds with Leon Edwards. That may not pan out too well for him, but if he goes to the bread and butter, can Leon Edwards show that he's improved because they have not fought since, you know, when was that 2015? It's been seven years since these two fought for the first time. And Leon is clearly leaps and bounds better uh, than what he was. in during that first fight as well. So if he can keep the fight standing, it really becomes, fascinating because i would like to say that i think kamaru can stand for five rounds with leon will we get the better of him that's where i don't know if i can necessarily go that route and answer it that way so if leon keeps it on the feet big time intrigue obviously that's what a lot of people are probably going to say in this one but i just feel like leon doesn't get the respect he deserves as just being a well-rounded solid MMA fighter and be it that it's his activity lately or the types of fights that he's in or his attitude and willingness to wait at certain times for certain opponents you can't deny that he is amongst the elite in this division it's good to finally see him get his chance can he shine can he show up when it matters can he get revenge in the biggest spotlight there is to get revenge those are all questions that we're going to have answered, hopefully, come Saturday night. Noah, where does the intrigue lie for you? Well, let's look at the battle on the feet. Um, Kamaru has sort of, I think he's even admitted as such, he's sort of fallen in love with the striking a little bit. Always been a wrestler, of course. You know, Marty from Nebraska, as he's been called a time or two. Um, very early on in his UFC career, very wrestling heavy. Really, he won the title by out-wrestling Tyron Woodley. Yeah. It was the first Colby fight that we saw some growth. I mean, it was a bit sloppy, but that was an absolute war. One of the best fights you'll ever see in the UFC. Um, and really, since then, it's it's evolved, right? You know, the Gilbert Burns fight showed a lot more. That's that's when he started working with, um, what's Trevor. his name? Um, yeah, Trevor Whitman, uh, working on his jab and whatnot. That's how he really kind of ran through Gilbert Burns in the uh, rounds two and three of that fight was with a heavy jab and much improved striking. Of course, the Masvidal fights, the second one, he knocked him out cold. And then the Colby second fight nearly knocks out Colby, ends up going to the distance, but in a great fight there too. Um, I think Kamaru has the power to put out Leon Edwards. Mm-hmm. I would think there's no argument. I don't think there is an argument that Kamaru Usman has far more power than Leon Edwards does. Um, when you talk about can he go five rounds, tit for tat, uh, probably not. I think the technique is far more on Leon Edwards' side. He is very much the boxer of the two. But to me, it's it's tough to go five rounds with Usman on the feet and him not land on you very hard yeah. for in that entire time. Because um, Leon, or excuse me, Kamaru just 
he has so many routes to victory. You know, he he did he has said multiple times at the last press conference and before that, he said we're gonna wrestle. He is like there's no there's no question about it. Like we are going to wrestle. Um, if he goes in there with that sort of mentality, I, I think that it's gonna be a tough time for Leon Edwards to stay off his back. Um, I, I it's hard to really say how far Leon's takedown defense has come. Um, I would like to say it's at a pretty good level, but where's really the tests that have shown that? Mm-hmm. You know, he's not even been, not to his, not really his fault. I mean, COVID and everything like that has really kind of put a, put a stunt to his prime years. But um, you look at the last few years and you kind of go, well, where did we see him, you know, sprawl for, for, 12, 13 takedown attempts and, and not, you know, against a really high-level wrestler. You know, he never fought the Colby Covington. He never fought Jorge Masvidal. Again, I'm not saying that's his fault. It's not. It's actually unfortunate that he's sort of been handicapped like he has been because of COVID, because of these things, you know, opponents dropping out of the fight like Masvidal did last December. Um, there's a lot of – there's got to be a lot of sort of inner – uh, what's the word? A lot of inner anger built up in Leon Edwards. You know, a lot of frustration, maybe. Gotta um, be. He he does igniting it. I think. I think you watch the interviews. He's a very you know his he's very easy to you know root for. Mm-hmm. You know, you know his backstory. BT Sport released an amazing video, sort of hyping up his chances here, and it's a video that they. The, the funny part is I think they've released this video like five times, but each time they have, either the fight's gotten canceled yeah. or you have the Bilal Muhammad, no contest. I mean, it, finally, though, they're like, okay, just put it out there. Yeah. Surely this is the time, right? Um, and, you know, there has to be this this feeling for him that it's now or never, right? This is this is his lone shot that he's going to get it, even though a loss here may not set him back like in the rankings very far, look at how long it took him to get this one shot, right? Mm. You know, you had a whole, the whole world turn upside down before he was able to get a shot at the belt. So for him, there's got to be a lot of motivation here to make the most of this opportunity. I just think when you look at the matchup, it, it's a tough one for him to win. It really is. Usman is the favorite. He should be the favorite. He's the best fighter in the world. But Dominic, with all that said, I can't help but shake this feeling that we're running into a trap fight. Mm, explain. Trap fight? Trap fight, someone say? Yeah, that's right. And it's 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 not going to be for the reason why I plan to come on here and say. You know, about a month ago, I told all my friends, I said, guys, I'm just letting you know now, I'm putting a house on Leon Edwards' money line. I didn't say yeah. a house. I'm a a a very um, a sprinkle, a very mature bet, a very professional uh, small wager on Leon Edwards' money line. My biggest reason for that was I was very concerned with all this Kamaru Usman Canelo Alvarez talk that was going on for a while. Yeah, Canelo Alvarez, of course, one of the best boxers in the world. I worried that Kamaru would want to get that highlight reel knockout, you know, do something on the feet, impressive, impressively to try to impress or sort of get Conelo Alvarez interested in that kind of fight. I was really concerned about that. 
If you look at Conor McGregor's second fight with Dustin Poirier, a lot of people said he looked like he was trying to do more of the boxing stance type stuff because there was a potential fight with uh, Manny Pacquiao on the horizon at the time. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for these guys to completely change their MMA styles and try to favor a boxing-heavy style if it could favor them for a multi-million dollar payday. But... I've been won over by Kamaru's comments at the press conference where he said, no, we're going to wrestle and stuff. I, I, I want to believe what he's saying, but it's still a trap fight. He's going for record-setting status here, tying Anderson Silva's record of 16. Um, you take that with the fact he's won this matchup previously. This is a familiar foe. And you look at just all that Leon Edwards has had to battle through to get here. He is very much being overlooked here. I think for a lot of his talent that people do think he has, they also look at the time off, the the lack of real high-level opponents to prepare him. Like Nate Diaz is great and all, but is that really the win you get that earns you a title fight You know, nowadays? It's, it's just... <laughs> Lately it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Very funny, Dom. Very funny. Very cheeky response. Um, but all of this to say that – I still think you have to lean Kamara's favor, but yet it will not shock me in the slightest. If Leon Edwards goes in there, he may shock the world, but he ain't going to shock me. Will he shock you, Dom, if he comes out on top? It, it would It would be a shock. It would be. Um, and it, obviously the odds are heavily in nuisance favor as we see. But I, I don't know, man. Like it, it, That's just what comes with the territory, I guess, after a while with a dominant champion. It truly boggles my mind that we could be getting ready to witness someone Saturday night tie Anderson Silva's record uh, of when 16 in a row. It's just unprecedented stuff. It really, there was kind of a time where you didn't even know if it would happen outside of like the John Jones. But then when he got into all the crap outside of the cage, you were kind of like, all right, are we ever going to really see this for quite some time? And Kamaru really truthfully crept into it, man. It wasn't until he honestly got that title win over Tyron Woodley where people started recognizing them, recognizing him. But even after that, it took so much more for people to start respecting him. And now he's one win away from tying that record. It's just quite astonishing. Five title defenses going for six. I mean, he is amongst the elite of the elite, one of the best fighters we've ever seen. He's 35 right now, uh, just out of that prime, but he's gen- generally just getting better. Uh, that's all we've seen in all these fights. So, it's an uphill battle for Leon. I've been rooting for him. I've always wanted him to get this chance, but now he's here and I'm like, all right, what are, you know, what's the possibility for him? That's, that's just what it <laughs> right. comes to when you have a dominant champion like this. And I know we don't talk about betting on the preview, but seriously, Leon Edwards by decision is plus 900 worth a sprinkle. I mean, seriously, I, I, I'm going to be hedging so fucking hard on this fight on my bet yeah. slip. I'm hedging in the winner. I'm hedging in the method. It's all over the place, people. But Yes, it's um, going to be interesting. It's a great fight. Hey, look, what does Dominic say back when this fight was announced? Nothing bad ever happens in Utah. Well, where are you going to go? Utah. <laughs> and why Utah? Cuts. Nothing bad ever happens in Utah. <laughs> right but for one of these guys something very very bad is gonna happen in utah so but will anything bad happen at the copper box arena in london england 
It's a good question. I don't know. I, I like the name Copper Box Arena there in London, England. That's great stuff. So the PFL playoffs week three, PFL feeling themselves right now, man. It, it has been a very good couple months for the PFL, I would say. I'd say the momentum is, is on the rise. And, of course, we'll talk later about one of the reasons for that. But we have women's lightweight, and I believe this is featherweight to go over today. Kayla Harrison, of course, headlining the card, as she is known to do. Mm-hmm. Going up against Martina Jindrova. Also, Dom, co-main event, Chris Wade taking on Brendan Lochnane. Larissa Pacheco versus Olena Kolesnik, and Ryoji Kudo versus Bubba Jenkins. So, you got these four matchups, and of course, we have a lot more uh, qualifiers for the Challenger Series or for next season's uh, tournament, which I'm still just so enamored with the PFL setting her cards up that way. It just makes it very interesting to watch. But out of these four fights, Dom, those are really the ones we're going to focus on. Um, what's sticking out to you? What storyline? What fighter? What fight? What? Where? where where's the the focus going to be for you on Saturday afternoon? Man, I think I said it when the playoffs were officially kind of set in stone a little while back, and I still feel this way now. Chris Wade, Brennan Lochnane, man, come on! That that is the fight for me that I've kind of been waiting for throughout these three weeks of the mm-hmm. playoffs, and we're finally here. Chris Wade coming into his all right now, 10 and four in the PFL, been there for years, but never been able to get kind of to this chance, man. But now he's here. He's coming off of a brutal TKO win to earn his spot in the playoffs. And Brendan Lochnane, huge name that, you know, the, the UK crowd behind him, he's going to be in his homeland and, you know, a great record in the PFL, but he just hasn't quite lived up to that hype that's surrounded him ever since he didn't get a contract on Dana White's Mm. Contender Series. Um, And, dude, Chris Wade, huge favorite into this, like minus 230 or so. He's over a 2-1 to favorite, which I was pretty surprised by. I think this is the most high-level fight we're going to see. I think it's the most closely contested fight we're going to see. And, uh, I mean, may the best man win, but that is, without a doubt, a leaps and bounds above my interest level for these other fights. I'm so excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's hard to not be interested in a Kayla Harrison fight. I mean, I feel like the result may be inevitable, but you sort of have to watch just in case, right? right? <laughs> you know, here has a lot. Sure, her mouth has been, you know, writing a lot of checks recently, her and Chris Cyborg going back and forth on Twitter and whatnot. It'd be a real shame if uh, it all came crashing down by the hands of Martina Jindrova. Um, yeah. But you're right. That co-main event, Chris Wade, Brendan Lochtane, it feels like the fight that should determine the winner of this division for yeah. this season. Uh, just feels like two of the highest level guys in the company. And honestly, there's a spotlight being put on this fight because both guys have done an amazing job in sort of um, promoting this fight. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look on their social media, they've been all over the place on it, uh, which I love. I love that you know Chris Wade, he's had a bit of a rocky relationship with the PFL as of late. He's been wanting more pay and whatnot. You really see the chip on the shoulder with him, and it's yeah. showing in his performances. He's really going for it. The opposite can be said for Brendan Lochnane, and I'm surprised you you acknowledge that because I really hadn't been seeing many people kind of say this, but Brendan Lochnane has a good record in the PFL, has done very well, um, was, of course, on the Dana White's Contender Series, probably one of the biggest snubs uh, to not get a contract in the history of the show. 
Um, he's went to the PFL ever since. He's done very well. But even in his wins, like the performances have always felt a little underwhelming, in my opinion. Yep. Like his, this season, I get excited for every time he fights, and I'm always kind of like, well, he probably should have been able to get through this guy a little easier than he did. Um, so this is a big fight for him because Chris Wade is not fucking around. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's a big season for these two guys because they may have another guy that we'll be talking about a little bit later coming to 145 next season mm-hmm. who may just well win the whole damn thing. Yeah. But it is the it is the best fight on this card. Um, I will say Ryoji Kudo Bubba Jenkins, very solid fight as well. Um, Larissa Pacheco is pretty much a stud whenever she's not fighting Kayla Harrison. So, <laughs> Literally, yeah. Um, and she's going up against a very vulnerable, in my opinion, Olena Kolesnik. So um, that could be fun. Overall, I think it's a good card for London. Um, and then, of course, you're going to have a lot of uh, hometown folk on the, the rest of the card that are going to be trying to earn those shots for PFL Europe or the Challenge Series or whatever it might be. But yeah, I mean Wade Lockmane is this card really, and then Kayla Harrison, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, will a huge upset happen? I mean, really, honestly, that's the thing with like the women's lightweights—you kind of just have an idea. Oh well, we're probably going to get Pacheco and Harrison part three. But for the featherweights, <laughs> I mean, both fights up for grabs. I mean, Ryuji Kudo closing as plus two seventy-five dog. There's big dogs in both of these, but the fights are so much closer to me on paper. I mean, Kudo's I, I coming off the, of a. The Wade Lock name one's a little surprising, but then it makes more sense when you look at it, when you evaluate the performances, I guess. I mean, yeah. It just seems like Lock name just is, he's given a lot of credit, you know, for someone who's just sort of doing the bare minimum to get by. And I'm not saying that he, like, he seems like a great guy, really want to support him. And I get why he has the fan base he does. But the performances he's giving so far this season and even somewhat last season. Just, you know, they leave a little bit to be desired. I'd really like to see yeah. him go out there and put on a show. It's in London, right? Let's let's go. Let's put it into another gear. No better time than now. All right. Um, let's move on to Dana White's Contender Series, of course. This is our recap portion of today's episode. Week four. Hmm. So no Bo Nickel on this card, although <laughs> he did have a great line on his Instagram, I believe. He said... Uh, he would be returning on the September 27th edition of Dana White and Bo Nichols Contender Series, which is a, uh, oh, a fun. He's having some there, fun, so. I've noticed lately. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. And you notice, like some of the top dogs in the division are talking about him, so you know yep. that they're threatened. They feel oh, the, yeah. they feel the threat, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so week four, uh, of course, I'm going to ask you kind of a similar question I asked you about the PFL playoffs. You know, now that we've seen these fights play out, there was five contracts given out, five fights, so every winner got a contract here. Well, yeah. Did that surprise you? That's going to be my first question, actually. Did that surprise you that we were given five contracts here? Yes. I was surprised, but I'm not upset, I guess. Probably the best way to describe it. Um, Haley Cowan. Good story, though, like former Division One gymnast, two-time All-American and all this with Baylor. Uh, she's 7-2 and two now. She got a decision win, split decision, albeit, I don't know, it was like a decent fight, but nothing too crazy, nothing well, too let exciting. Me ask you, let me ask you, you said you weren't, like, upset by it, and I know you're never going to be upset. You're not the type of guy to get upset by someone getting a contract. How did that compare to, like, last week, where you had those two contracts that you said on the show you disagreed with, 
Like, did you feel like this week there was more of a reason to give? I think the two in question is Haley Cowan and Jose Jose Johnson. Those are probably the two in question. Yeah, I think I think there was. I think the biggest thing going for Haley, uh, you know, athletics, you know, and college stuff aside, was that she's at women's bantamweight. It's the shallowest yeah. women's yeah. divisions. They need life. I don't care if you go out there and start someone in 15 seconds or get a razor close split decision. We need bodies at <laughs> yeah. women's 135. Yeah, I, so I think that played into account. Um, and then Jose Johnson, I'm so happy he got a contract. I actually thought he should have gotten one, but I wasn't expecting him to get one. So it was just kind of better when he got it. But like that fight was high level shit. That was crazy. Like back and forth, the transitioning on the ground, the submission attempts, the ground and pound. I mean, it was wild, the stuff that Johnson had to go through against Cartwright. Cartwright, Cage Warriors champion, three title defenses, 10-0 and 0 going into that fight. Uh, and mm-hmm. Johnson really got the better of every man, really rocked him on the ground a lot, um, was able to avoid any damage, was able to avoid submissions, looked good on the feet. Uh, he had been on the show before and lost. He had a lot of personal shit going on in his life that kind of pulled at the heartstrings, much like for you last week mm-hmm. um, with Pogues. So, Which is funny because I missed – the the story for for Jose yeah. Johnson. So I was sort of like, man, they gave him a contract. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, and that was even part of the reason Dana gave him it. He's like, you got me, you got me, kid, with your post fight press conference. So, I mean, five winners, five contracts. I can't complain. I mean, obviously, all the three guys that got finishes were pretty solid finishes. Mm-hmm. I mean, best overall performance probably Nazim. Uh, I'm going to butcher that last name, but Sadikov. I mean, I think he, it's, yeah, I think that's Sadikov. He he. He dominated for three well, that, straight rounds, dude. Man, that fight was awesome, though. For a it do- was a good fight. Wasn't it was it that much fight. of a domination? I felt like Ahmad oh, Suhail's... I don't know. I felt like he was hanging in there. I mean, it was... Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, the, the guy who... Nazim clearly won this fight. But I felt like that's what made it so exciting was that yeah. Suhail had those moments where he sort of looked like he might be turning the tide. Right. Doing the impossible and kind of coming back. Yeah. But... Uh, for Sadikov to go in there and finish it in round three, too, when he was clearly winning. That's, yeah, he uh, didn't pull off the brakes. He didn't coast in round three. He got a round three finish. That was the best performance of the night for me. But, yeah, what do you think about the contract situation? Yeah, I'm again, you know, I know last season I was a bit more of a stickler on sort of the amount of contracts. And I, I can't really do that because it's like, at the end of the day, these are men and women who are, you know, put who sacrifice so much to be there and whatnot. Like, of course, I want them to be selective, but at the same time, it's hard. It's a hard position to be in if you're Dana or if you're doing this show because, you know, you see, we've seen guys lose on the contender, get knocked out on the contender, and end up with pretty decent UFC careers just mm-hmm. because they're going up against another super high-level guy, Aaron Jeffrey, who we just saw in Bellator 284. Knocking out Austin Vanderford in like a minute and a half, who had just fought for a title. He lost twice on the contender series, but you look at who he lost to, Brendan Allen and then uh, Kaio Bahio, and you realize, okay, this guy was just going up against really good competition. Sometimes that's not who you get put up against. Sometimes you might get lucky and get a bum. Probably not. They do a pretty good job most of the time. You get some weird ones like... Last week, that Pokes fight, like, both guys feeling like they're not in the right division. Like, I yeah. don't know what's going on there. That other guy that Dana was freaking out about <laughs> being at 145 pounds. Yeah. But um, I didn't really bat an eye at the contracts. I mean, I I was expecting three. We got five. Whatever. Um, Claudio Hibero, I believe is how you said that last night. My 
goodness. I mean, that knockout, dude. I jumped out of my seat. And look, I was la- like, I was laying on the couch. <laughs> That's what I was doing. And I and I'm pretty sure I didn't even like you know if you're laying on a couch, you got to sit up and then stand up. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I just like levitated off the couch and into a standing position. You're like, when Derek Lewis is on the ground, he just gets up. That's what. <laughs> that, no, that's that's exactly what I think happened here, because yeah. I was laying on the couch and all of a sudden I was standing screaming. I'm like, <laughs> whoa! I'm like yeah. something something magical just happened right there. Yeah. But uh, that was an amazing knockout. Um, the main event, Esteban Rebovic. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked really good. You know, I feel for Thomas Paul. I liked his story, of course. He is uh, mute. Yeah, deaf fighter. Or, he's deaf, yeah. like Matt Hamill. Or wait, he's deaf, not mute. Yeah. Because he wasn't speaking, but he was doing sign language, so maybe he's just deaf. But right. apologies. I'm not trying to mess that up. But um, I did kind of feel for him, right? You know, you feel for someone like that who has a disability. But um, I'd like to see Tim get another shot. And then for Esteban, I mean, to go in there and – Put him away. Like those two guys really knew what the assignment yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. You could tell that they were like kill or be killed. So yeah. I have a lot of respect for guys who who sort of recognize that. So I thought it was a very solid week for Dana White's contender series. Amen. Uh, let's get on into some tidbits. I'm excited about this portion, Dom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I get to hear Dominic go on and on about BKFC 27, of course. BKFC 27 going down at OVO Arena in London, England. So the popping there this weekend. London, England, just fight capital of the world for Saturday. One yeah. o'clock start time for the PFL playoffs. I believe two o'clock is the BKFC. So I guess we'll all just have to be watching on two different screens, you know, because I know <laughs> right. Dominic will surely be watching. Yeah. Um, so in the main event, Michael Venom Page on loan. From Bellator <laughs> to Bare Knuckle. Yeah. We'll be taking on the former UFC welterweight slash middleweight, Mike Platinum Perry. Any expectations for this, Dom? I know BKFC not really our scene, but two familiar names, two fighters we've watched a lot. Uh, any expectations? Mm, no expectations, but I, you know, I'm a tad bit curious. Usually BKFC doesn't get me curious. I mean, yeah, I can tell you right now I will be watching the main event. I, I love that for you. Uh, I, I really, well, I, you know. Why, why do you have to say it like that? Why do you have to say it like I'm being that? serious. Watch what you want to watch, yeah. man. Oh, you love, you, know, you love this for me. Okay, well, I'm just saying I, too, have been like you where you are now. You've been a little Grinch where you're like, I don't want to watch BKFC because that's just – are you going to pull out the human cockfighting line, John McCain? I mean, come on. Let's 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 realize our roots here with the sport, Dom. I yep. mean, we we come from a place where we were once the BKFC. MMA was once BKFC, the the black guy on combat sports, the you know, ooh, that's just way too gruesome for me. Now, I mean, taking it further than MMA is like kind of like ugh. We're already basically bare knuckle. Now you just want literal bare knuckle. Okay, well, I respect the hustle. I think BKFC's done some interesting things. They have recruited. They've been a good uh, platform for guys that are kind of 
past their prime in the UFC oh, yeah. who aren't really to get decent paydays and have been really relevant for them. Like Tiago Alves is still doing pretty good over there, and like Hector Lombard, guys like that. But um, yeah, like I'm like you, where really hasn't been something I've been interested in watching. But this, for the first time, will probably be a fight that I will watch just to see how it goes. You know? Yeah, exactly. It just it, it pulls at you a little bit. You know? Also, bit. didn't know I didn't know this until they announced today that the fight was off. But Paige Van Zandt was in the co-main on this card. Did you know that? Well, I didn't know until I saw her talking about how they pulled her. It wasn't her. Something happened with the card mm-hmm. and all that shit. Yada, yeah. yada, yada. Yeah, I don't... But, you know. She's also with yeah. AEW Wrestling, so... Yeah, I don't know what her situation is exactly. I, I kind of thought her bare-knuckle deal might have been up, but she was still supposed to be fighting on this card. Apparently, they pushed back the fight to, like, October, so I guess she still will be fighting. Maybe they're trying to make a headliner out of her gotcha. there. Uh, but it's just so interesting, Paige and BKFC. It just—I respect it. I do. It's kind of like it's kind of like OJ Simpson's hand fitting into a glove, where it just doesn't really fit at all, right? Anyways, next one, Shane Burgos. That's right, Shane Burgos. There's a hurricane coming through. Well, apparently, from what I saw behind that curtain, it means the Scorpion King got a tiny dingaling. If you understand that reference, I mean, come on, that's yeah, that's pretty good. Yep, that was good. That was good. Yeah, two, two, two pro wrestling kids here. So, uh, Hurricane Shane, he has announced via the MMA Hour, he will be signing with the PFL. What a move! Because big time, Shane Burgos had announced. Yeah, he'd announced his free agency back at the Long Island card. He won the fight there. He had said he was going to be a free agent, wanted to sort of, you know, um, evaluate his offers. I think most people expected him to re-sign with the UFC. So, I mean, what a coup for PFL here. A guy who feels like a perfect face Oh man, PFL. Yes, he does. I mean... He may not, like, he if he was to continue in the UFC, probably wasn't ever going to win a title in the UFC. Just the reality of the situation. But a guy who puts on awesome fights is very high level. He feels like he could immediately come into the PFL. He's in his prime. That's also important. Thing very know. much. And he's, I mean, he's so articulate. He, he does, like, just, he just has it all. For for a guy like the like the PFL could really do something with him here, and I'm very excited, and I think they recognize that because this isn't just a talent contract. Dom, there also uh, is parts of this contract. He didn't go into too many details on it. He's going to be doing some broadcasting, I guess, with the PFL. So that's going to be awesome really? as well. What do you what do you what do you sort of sort of make of the deal? Is this is this feel like a move the PFL needed to do? Oh, I fucking love it, man. I love this for Shane. I love it for the PFL because, let's be real, guys, past couple of years, PFL, you know, big signings, big free agent signings, they ain't done too hot. I mean, Fabrizio Verdue, Rory McDonald, um, help me here, Jeremy Stevens, Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis. Just to name a few. None of them have turned out quite the way I think the PFL thought on paper going into those contract negotiations. This is big they are signing someone that was red hot eight and three fighter from the ufc 
in his prime, a top 15, borderline top 10 featherweight when he's leaving the company, coming over here to the PFL. This is, dare I say, should Kayla leave after this year or after next year, whatever the case may be, he could become the face of the PFL. It's a two-season contract deal. I didn't even know about the broadcast portion. Um, it's, It's such a huge opportunity for a guy like him to come in knowing that, hey, I have a pretty solid shot here at a million dollars in 2023. That's life-changing shit on top of just building his brand um, with broadcasting, with being a, you know, he was he was a big name for the featherweight division in the UFC, but in the grand scheme of the company, not so much. But in the PFL, he's a big fish in a small pond, dare I say. So I, I cannot find one complaint about this, Noah, but the most interesting part of all of this in the aftermath is on Tuesday night when Dana White expressed how deeply upset he was that the UFC quote-unquote fucked this up by not getting Shane Burgos to re-sign with the company. Give me all your thoughts. I I didn't... Was that really that? I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I don't know. I mean... Hmm. Okay, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm giving you a little limp dick here. Uh, no, like you don't hear Dana or anybody from the UFC say that very often. Ever, but I mean, considering what it sounds like the deal was for Shane Burgos, it's the perfect guy for the PFL to come in and take away. Because the UFC, it's hard for them to really value him the same way that the PFL would. I mean, it's impossible. Because for the UFC, he's a great fighter. He's in all these fun wars, all these fun fights. But he's not a guy who's a contender. He's not championship caliber in the UFC, at least up to this point. PFL, he's all those things, and then some. He's in his prime. He's he's a great face to have. He talks the talk. He walks the walk. I mean, he does it all. Very articulate, so he's probably going to be great on the microphone. Honestly, like, of course Dana's upset by it. Like, I mean, that's a good fighter that just left you. And honestly, it's probably has something to do with the fact that, like, the UFC sort of just let him go find these offers, like, apparently. I guess from what he said, Sean Shelby let him go look at competitive offers, and then he was supposed to circle back to him. And they basically just, like, I guess they didn't expect him to leave, and then he got, like, an amazing offer and was gone. So... Yeah. Um, I'm curious since you felt like it was such a big deal. Like, what what about it really like makes that massive for you that Dana is like acknowledging that they they flubbed it? I mean, the fact that just Dana never does this, and I think it also is a pull behind the curtain to see that Dana's not very much involved, guys. And we've talked about this before, but when it comes to these negotiations, especially like we've mentioned it the most prominently with like Francis and Ganu. But it shows here, like, he just seemed genuinely, not even pissed, but just, like, disappointed. Like, damn, we couldn't get Shane Burgos back. Even congratulated the PFL. You never hear Dana mention other organizations' names. So it just really caught me off guard to hear him say that. I'll be careful. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in then Tuesday meetings just to hear the conversations about Shane. Uh, But at the end of the day, it is about that fighter. It is about Hurricane Shane. And this is life-changing stuff here. Um, I mean, if he goes in and captures that gold uh, in year one. Uh, and, and, you know, we've seen this, like, 
more and more fighters of his caliber that are that are there, but they're not in that creme de la creme of those title contenders could jump ship and be like, dude, if Shane can do it, why can't I do it? Very much so, keep an eye on the rest of those types of people in that bubble should Shane make a splash uh, next year in 2023. Well, guys like him are going to be the ones that set that into motion. You know? Yes. With Anthony Pettis and Rory McDonald and, and Fabricio Verdum, they were great signings at the time, but they also felt like the last stops in what was a career that was already made years prior. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like the band coming and trotting out one last reunion tour that's way past their prime, right? Yeah. Um, I think we expected it to go a little better for Rory and Anthony and Fabrizio, but, you know, it is what it is. I think they got their – I think the juice was worth the squeeze on that one, even with all the fights not going their way, really. Um, but for Shane Burgos, like I said, a guy in his prime to make that move, to decide, look – he even said it in his interview with Ariel where he announced this. He said part of the reason, because I guess his last contract, he nearly signed with the PFL. The deal was a little closer in money, but it was still more for the PFL. And he decided to go with the UFC because he took so much pride in being yeah. a UFC fighter for feeling like this is where the best of the best fight, and I feel like I'm one of the best of the best. So I think that is a legitimate, uh, prevalent mindset in among MMA fighters in the UFC. I think a lot of people just take a lot of pride in being a UFC fighter, that that proves that you're one of the best in the world. The PFL is quietly becoming the second biggest MMA promotion in the world, but it doesn't, it feels like you're going to the B tier organizations if you go there, right? So it's almost like saying you're not one of the best in the world. But for someone like Shane Burgos to say, look, PFL, I'm happy to be in the PFL. I'll make good on being the face of the PFL, on being a very top contender here, a reliable guy here, potentially win a million dollars, not even once, twice, three times. I mean, who knows? Yeah. More fighters are going to follow suit. There'll be some more who are maybe past their prime a little bit. I mean, Jeremy Stevens, of course, uh, just came for this season. Um, You'll probably see a few more guys like that. But I think you will start to see more and more of guys on the rise, guys in their prime, who maybe have hit a certain ceiling, and they're like, look, the paychecks aren't really cutting it here. I can go over there and potentially earn a million dollars. It's not easy. It's a gamble. Especially especially when more people start piling into the BFL. It's only going to get harder. But you kind of come in feeling like, okay, I should be better than most of the people here, right? Yep. So, yeah, moving on from that, and I apologize, Dom, for sort of deadweighting you on the uh, the, up the Dana portion. We, I, we talked it through. But I will say, to your point about the, the Dana portion of that, I think for anyone who still is on the fence or believes otherwise, I mean, seriously, Dana is not involved. Like, he's just – yeah, he's there. He's at the matchmaker meetings. He does his part. But in terms of fighter negotiations, I don't think he does any. I don't think he does any, like, fighter negotiations, any contracts. I think that is all out of his hands. Matchmaking handled, of course, by the two matchmakers. I mean, he's he's very hands-off at this point. You know, he's very much a figurehead. He does the media. 
You can even see, I mean, look, I love watching his interviews, but Dominic, let's be real. I mean, you can sort of tell in his interviews that, you know, he's doesn't exactly, you know, know the card top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but let's get into a couple fight announcements. We start with the return of Dominic Reyes, the former uh, light heavyweight title challenger. He's, of course, fallen on some hard times. He's lost three in a row, if you include the John Jones fight that was very close back the last pay-per-view before, or no, excuse me, the second to last pay-per-view before COVID-19 hit. So he'll be making his return at Madison Square Garden, UFC 281 on November 12th. He's taking on... Ryan Spann. Do you like yeah. this as a return fight for Dominic Reyes? I do. I, I honestly would have been all right with him fighting even guys farther ahead. I've discussed plenty of options, but I, I like this fight. I think it's a fun fight. Ryan Spann, typically kill or be killed. Dominic Reyes, very technical guy, but likes to finish fights as well when he can. Long layoff, man. I'm glad to see him back, and I'm very intrigued to just see how he looks. What when when, when did he fight a uh, Yuri? That was May or June of 2021. Probably May, yeah, uh, 2021. Yeah. So that's gonna be, I mean, 16, 17 months Before since he last that fought. Was like October 2020. So it's, yeah. It's so, been... but you know, to an extent, it's probably good he had a long layoff. He had two brutal knockout losses back to back. So coming in here fresh of mind. Very intrigued, man. He, can he get himself back into title contention? No, I know we had a segment on here or a question somewhere, and I mentioned that he could be one of the people that have this career rebound that get back into a title contention, a championship fight, so on and so forth. And it all starts in MSG out of all places. So I like it. Yeah, I, you kind of feel for the guy, right? Because it seems like he should have been – declared the winner against John Jones back at yeah. UFC 247. Um, it was a very close fight. You know, we already thought Tiago Santos had, had done enough to beat him before that. But I think this one was even more clear 3-2 Dominic Reyes. And he said as such in the interview since then, you know, more recently, of course, that I, he, he feels like the... I think there was a lot of negative emotions attached to that fight for a long time for him Yeah, that spilled over perhaps into his preparation into just the sport in general for him. Yeah. Um, he seems to be in a better mental place now. I mean, just think about it. If you're the guy that beats John Jones, I know he doesn't tech, he's technically not undefeated, but you get what I'm saying? Like takes the, yeah. right. That's first one. Think of what that could have done for him. Oh, massive. Light heavyweight champion, the massive raise in pay. Perhaps he becomes a big star, big media darling. Who knows? And instead you lose, and then you follow that up with a knockout loss and then another knockout loss, and all of a sudden people are questioning. If he gets knocked out here, people think he could be gone from the company. Yeah. Um, It's a lot of pressure to have him right now. But I do think he's in a better mental place to handle it than he was when he was headlining against Yuri uh, a little over a year ago. And I do think Ryan Spann's the right opponent to, it'll test his defense, test that chin, but also offensively, skill skill for skill, uh, Dominic Reyes is a far more skilled fighter, I think, at this point, um, from what we've seen. But he will have to avoid the big shots from Ryan Spann. Ryan Spann's a big dude. I mean... 
very yeah. powerful. So it, it should be fun. Love it. Last one. Brett Okamoto first reporting that Robbie Lawler mm. will be making his return after an unfortunate ending to an amazing fight at International Fight Week at the card to end the year. UFC 282 on December 10th. And he'll be taking on Santiago Ponzanibio. So two fighters that I never thought we'd see go head-to-head. Both finding themselves in both similar, took completely different paths to get here, but both in very similar places. Both really trying to hold on to their their spot, right? They're they're really trying to hold on to what's left of, of their career at this point. I mean, I think... You know, both guys probably this is not a lose and you're gone type fight by any means, but both guys really wanting to remain relevant in this welterweight division, and both again took completely different paths to get here. Robbie Lawler, former champion, but that's a guy who that's not even that's not even half his career because I mean he started as a hot prospect in the dark days of the UFC right before the Ultimate Fighter blew up. He was featured on the best damn sports show period. Uh, his fight, I forget who it was against, was it Steve Berger or someone like that at UFC 47 and a half, just was like an amazing fight that at the time sort of like saved the company for a minute. And then as a prospect, he sort of faltered, gets yeah. knocked out by Nick Diaz and, and others. Uh, he goes on to have a kind of middling career for other promotions like uh, Strike Force, uh, comes back, ends up going on this miraculous late run of, of being a champion had like three straight fights of the year with Johnny Hendricks, Rory McDonald, Carlos Condit. And, you know, the war sort of took a toll because he really hasn't been the same since Tyron Woodley knocked him out for the title in 2016. But he is still good for a very good fight. And Santiago Ponzinibbio has battled back through a lot of injuries, a lot of ad- adversity and he may not be who he was looking like he could be at one point. But I think both guys still have at least enough in the tank to make this a very fun fight for the fans. That was perfect. Yeah, Perfection. You know, and, you know, anytime Robbie fights, I have to rule out those same. I do it every time. You guys, can go watch, you guys can go watch the UFC 276 preview, and I probably just said the exact same word for word. He was a prospect. He got cut. He was a strike force. Comes back. Champion. Three straight fights of the year. Not one. Not two. But three. Yes. And then he gets knocked out. You know, it's uh, that's my guy. That's my guy. I gotta I gotta roll out the red carpet. You know. I love it. Yeah, let's get on to the rest. UFC mm. 278 has got plenty of other fights to talk about. I know this card is being viewed as a bit of a, a weaker card. I don't think that's what... <laughs> I'm just I'm thinking of UFC 279, and I'm just like, guys, be grateful. Well, but I do think it's. I was gonna say I think it's fair to say that. Yeah. But I also think that it might be a bit overstated when you look at what's ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but um, our co-main event is a fight that I. This is. I honestly don't even want to talk about it because I'm still convinced that it's not gonna happen. Hmm. And that's Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna say it again, Dominic. This fight will not happen. Just let you guys know it's when I'm recording this on Wednesday of, of fight week. I mean yeah. tomorrow this episode comes out, Thursday. They're cutting they, weight. Wait, 
they, they weigh in on what Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm telling you guys, this fight will not happen, but in the off chance that it does, let's break it down. Dominic, what, what could possibly happen with this fight? This fight, I just have no idea what to expect. What do you think? I, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, we haven't seen Luke Rockhold since being knocked out three years ago in July of 2019. Um, Paulo Costa's on a two fight skid with wine and weird Twitter back and forth. <laughs> I mean, it's really just an interesting fight when you look at the storylines coming in. Paulo Costa, for what it's worth on the embedded, did say he's the leanest, lightest he's ever been coming into a fight week. We'll see how that turns out because he was about 257 pounds when he came into the Marvin Vittori fight. So, um, Luke Rockhold looks good, but he's a physical freak. I mean, both these guys are, but Luke always looks good. He does say that he's in like a really good mental spot. He said he needed that time away. You know, he was in a bad spot mentally and he was just draining himself. He wasn't going into fights hundred percent. Not that anybody is, but you get the point, but he feels good right now. I mean, if he gets a win over number six, Paulo Costa, he puts himself right back in there. Let's not forget this dude was a stud best in the world at one time, a middleweight champion. So, I think someone is going to get mollywopped. I think someone is going to get finished relatively, I don't even know if it's quickly, but just very convincingly in this fight. I just don't know who. No, and I don't know if I've ever asked you this question, but now's your chance. The time is now. Explain to me, and more importantly, explain to the Joey community, what is it that makes you think this fight will not go down in, what, 96 hours from now? That's a great question, Dom. I'm glad that you asked it. Um, I wish I had a more prepared answer for it. <laughs> but truthfully, it's because this fight's just so fucking weird. It's it so is weird. weird. <laughs> yeah. So Luke Rockhold's making his return after, like you said, he hasn't fought in three years. Yeah. Hasn't won a fight Long since time. David Branch in 2017. Um. Actually, if you look down Luke Rockhold's resume, I'm pretty sure. Um, let me think about this. Pretty sure uh, Jan Blahovich is the only fighter still active in the UFC that he's fought before. Yeah. David Brown. Wow, you mean ever in his UFC career? Holy shit. Well, Romero and Bellator. I mean, I, I think that that's. I don't know before Chris Weidman, I guess, is still in the UFC, so I guess that counts. But, uh, you know, Weidman's really, you know, he's kind of been out for so long with surgery. Um, It just, the UFC has changed a lot since Luke Rockhold was a champion, since he was a high-level fighter. But it still feels like he can be the fighter he was when he left. Like, the Blahovich fight, again, these knockouts he's taken, Yoel Romero, Bisping, Blahovich, those were all defensive miscues. You know, it's kind of like what we talked about with Cody Garbrandt for a long time, where I didn't think his chin was bad. I just thought his defense was bad. Yeah. For Luke Rockhold, it's the same thing to me. But after a while if you take too many shots like that the chin is gonna go because you're just not protecting it at all um so with the i could totally see him coming in here and just getting obliterated in like a minute kind of like with like gustafson just happened to him with krilov yeah like it the, the the vibes are not good 
for Luke no. Rockhold in this fight, in my opinion. On either he side, is, it's weird. He he is talking himself up very well. Like he's like he seems very confident and and he seems to be in a better place. But I just can't sh- like I don't see him coming in here. Like a world where he like you were talking about someone's gonna get Molly whopped. I cannot even imagine him coming in here and Molly whopping Paul yeah. Costa. And mostly that's because I just don't think this fight's going to happen. But <laughs> right. it's not just, but Luke Rockhold, I think, will show up, will be on weight, will be ready to go. That leads us to the other guy, Paulo Costa. Yeah. Um, I, much against my better judgment, predicted Paulo Costa to defeat Israel Adesanya at UFC 253. Yeah. And he has made me pay for that every single day of my life since then. <laughs> He drank a whole bottle of wine before fighting for the title. He got raw dogged after the fight. <laughs> then the Marvin Vittori fight happens. He decides I, it's not going to be at 185 pounds. It's going to be at like 235 pounds. It's like, what? Huh? That's yeah. like a 50 pound difference. I mean, yeah. what is this? Haseem Rahman Jr. and Jake Paul? What's going on here? Like, I just. Um, I don't know what was going on with Paulo Costa. That seemed like a super unprofessional little thing that happened there with him and Marvin Vittori. Yeah. I, and, I, and Dana even said at the time that he was very – that he would be hesitant to offer him a middleweight fight again. But then here he goes. You give him a middleweight fight against Luke Rockhold? Like, what the hell? Yeah. What kind of matchmaking from hell is this? I mean, I, I – I mean, I, I like the fight. Don't get me wrong. It's a, so intriguing. Yeah, it is. And I mean, so intriguing because it's not going to happen. But, <laughs> I mean, I if this fight happens, I, like, I'm tempted to put a bet on it simply for the gall. Yeah. The gall of the UFC to put this together. The gall of these two guys to try to convince us that they're both going to show up be ready to go. It's not going to happen, but I look forward to watching it if it does. Perfectly said. <laughs> Next fight, the true co-main event. I, don't get me wrong. It's a great co-main event. But to me, the fight that's most interesting on this entire card is Jose Aldo and Merab Dwalish Wili. Yeah, this is a sick fight. I watch, I watch Anik and Florian now, people. So there you go. I got that shit down. Anyways... We started last week with our little Bantamweight Grand Prix that we have going on. Marlon Vera with the knockout of the year maybe right now on Dominic Cruz. A head kick from hell. Really great start to that. Really a kick in the ass to the other guys in this Grand Prix that you guys got to show out. Put on a show if you want a chance at getting the next title fight after Dillashaw and Sterling go down in Abu Dhabi. And the next domino to fall is Aldo Mayrab. So, Dominic, you look at this matchup, Dwalish Wili, actually the betting favorite right now, slightly, but still the betting favorite over a guy in Aldo who is obviously the King of Rio legend, one of the best to ever sport. And even though he may feel like he's not in his prime anymore, seems to be turning back the clock in some of these recent Bantamweight performances. So, do you sort of agree with the odds? Do you sort of buy in that as good of as Aldo has been, Mayrob just might be a tough matchup for him? 
Yeah, this feels like a pick to me, and I get it, the odds are close, but just having Jose come in as a dog is intriguing in its own right from a betting perspective, but on paper, just stylistically, how the hell, like... I guess I guess if you look at it from a very simple standpoint, you can say striker grappler. Jose Aldo, obviously fantastic on the feet, hardly ever ends up on the ground. Um, and Merab is the complete opposite. He's a fantastic grappler. He was literally had won six straight fights via dominant decision up until finishing Marlon Marais in his last fight, which is one of the craziest fucking fights I've ever seen in my life. So now, biggest opportunity that he's ever had here to go in and potentially beat Jose Aldo uh, is big time for that camp. And obviously when his training partner, Aljamain Sterling, is the champion, that creates even more intrigue to me at the top of this division. Um, but man, I mean, the X's and O's and the ins and outs and the dips and the do's and the doozies and the daisies, I don't know what is going to happen in this fight. I don't know how close it's going to be. I don't know if someone's going to come out and make a statement. But I mean, who do you think has more to prove here? Jose's already shocked everyone by being as good as he has been at 135 pounds, but now he's won three in a row. He's potentially a win away from a title for Marab. He's got great wins, but none would come to par with a win over Jose Aldo. What do you think? I think you just answered the question for me. I think who has more to prove here is Marab. Yeah. Jose Aldo has exceeded everyone's expectations at Bantamweight. Some thought it was an ill-advised move to begin with. Yeah. That the weight cut would just zap any and all life he really had left as an MMA fighter. But he goes in, looks great against Marlon Moraes, who at that time was coming off of a title loss to Henry Cejudo, I believe. And a lot of people thought Aldo won that fight. Dana and the boys thought so much of that performance, they gave him a title fight off of it. And then the Jan loss, it sort of felt like, okay, we had a thing, we had a moment there where Jose looked good at Bantamweight, but then the later rounds of that fight were very dominant and it didn't look great. The, you know, the ref probably could have stopped it like a round earlier, you know, yeah. it just wasn't great. But then since then, Dom, he's, he's rattled him off. He got that win over Marlon Vera, which is looking better and better. Um, help me out with the order. He, then he had Pedro Munoz, which Munoz is a very tough guy in this division. And then of course, in a headlining spot with Rob Font, Yep. Who, you know, I know Rob Font's on back-to-back losses now, but at that time, that was a very strong win for Jose Aldo. The way he did it, 50-45s, I believe, across the board. Yeah. Um, very dominant. And doing it against another guy who has really prided himself on his striking. Very impressive stuff. Um, so now he finds himself here, where he could very well find himself one fight away from a title. UFC is returning to Brazil in January. Yep. I don't think either TJ or Aljamain are going to want to defend their title there and with a pretty quick turnaround three months away. But I'm just saying the UFC is probably going to want to put Jose on that card regardless. Yeah. Marab, um, as I was saying, has the most to prove because – even though I think a lot of people respect him a lot. Like I do think I do get a sense that a lot of people really value his skill set. They think he's a great fighter. Even a future champion is what I'm hearing being thrown around a decent amount. But he I mean, really this this win would say a lot. I mean the Marlon Rice win was awesome. It was a great fight. It was a finish, which I think he really needed. But also he nearly got finished in that fight. 
Yep. He yep. also was going up against a Marlon Marais, who was not the one that Jose had fought, you know, not too much before that. Um, if you look at Mayrob's UFC career, he started out 0-2, actually. Uh, yep. Lost, has a loss to Ricky Simone via submission, so there's a little shout out to Ricky Simone. But um, has rattled off seven wins in a row. But this is a big step up, in my opinion. You know, Marlon Marais was a good win, a good step, but I just didn't view Marlon Marais as a top-level Bantamweight. This is really Mayrob's first endeavor into the top of the shark tank or into the shark tank really i guess is the way to put it into the top of the heap at bantamweight he's going up against one of the best to ever do it who also has legendary takedown defense leg kicks i mean just an extraordinary skill set to combat someone with may rob style but the biggest thing may rob has going for him is that relentless pressure jose aldo has always struggled against guys who really keep him on that back foot. You look the way Max Holloway did it. Um, who am I forgetting? Alexander Volkanovsky did a pretty good job at it. Peter Yan did a good job at it. It's been his Achilles heel for his career. When he can get a little bit overwhelmed by the pressure. It doesn't happen much. He only has like seven losses in his entire yeah. MMA career. But you look through there, that's sort of been the consistent. But... Again, Mirab does it with his grappling, which is, again, not something you've really seen people use or be able to use successfully to defeat Jose Aldo. Max Holloway's pressure was with the boxing. Alexander Volkanovsky is very similar. Um, I just, I'm not, I'm struggling. If Mirab can get the takedown, it's going to be a long night for Jose. Yeah. But the question is, can he get it? I think yeah. he'll be relentless in doing so. But can Jose stay off his back? Is his takedown defense truly held up? Has it held the, the test of time? Has it proven to be legendary as it had been before? If it does, Aldo, I think, wins this fight all day on the feet. That's why it's so intriguing because, that, like you said, I think it's very much striker-grappler. Yeah. Because I think Aldo hurts him bad if this fight stays standing. But if that fight yeah. goes to the ground... Is Marab's fight to lose? So really, it's a test of strength, a test of who's going to get their fight into their element and pull out a strong win and continue on into the Bantamweight Grand Prix. On to the next. <laughs> Marcin Tibera takes on a tough test, and Alexander Romanov, a guy looking to make a name for himself as a potential future staple of the heavyweight division, uh, how do you view Alexander Romanov? You know, Tibera has been kind of a mainstay. He's been around a long time. He's yeah. had his ups, his downs. He's sort of falling out of what was probably his best period in the UFC. Yeah. But still, I, I like his placing, you know, 11th in the division. That feels kind of about where Tibera fits. So for yeah. Romanov, how do you sort of view him and his prospect status right now? Uh, I mean, this guy is... Again, he's not leading the charge, but he's closely behind, you know, the, those guys that are up and coming right now, the Dawkuses, the the Aspinals, the so-ons and so forth. But he, this guy, I'm telling you, man, when he changed that physique going into his last fight, that's what made it really click for me. Like, okay, this guy is that. trouble. I think this guy's trouble. 
Um, and this is a big test. This is a big test for him to fight a guy as seasoned uh, that as Marcin Tibera, who has fought really a lot of top guys in this division for many, many years. But there was just a lot to be desired in his last fight with Alexander Volkov, Marcin Tibera, that is, after. And really, that was a fight I thought that he could potentially win, but he just didn't really show much. And coming into this one, this is just horrendous match making. But really, I mean, the way Romanov's style is, he's a hell of a night out for anyone really ahead of him when you look at just what they bring to the cage stylistically so alexander this is his chance to like get to the top 10 with a win here and and i think he can do so i mean this guy is 16 and 0 undefeated in the ufc the guy's never been to a decision once it technically has a decision on his record but it didn't go the distance so he's never been the distance i shall say so if tibera can kind of drag it out get him into that round three I'll be slightly intrigued because with the new physique, we haven't seen him go that far. When he did go that far, it didn't look too good before that nut shot happened. Uh, man, this guy's really built a good relationship with me ever since that nut shot happened. But uh, if he comes out here and just can steamroll Tybura, I know it may not mean a lot on the surface to people, but that's that's big to me. I think t- if you're going to get into that top 10 and look at the deep waters ahead, this is the type of win that you need. So we shall see. I'm not sold on Romanov. I think he's proven to be good. Obviously, a lot of finishes on that record. The 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 physique was a good step. The the changed physique that was the step where I was like, okay, I'm I'm starting to buy it a little bit more. But I just need to see it in practice, like you just said, Dom. Yeah. That fight with Juan Espino just made him not look great. That gas tank yeah. did not hold up. Yeah, that gas tank wasn't meant for round three. Let's just put it yeah. that way. Yeah, um, Marcin Tybura is a fighter very capable of going the distance. He's gone to full fifteen multiple times. He's gone twenty five with Fabricio Verdun back in the day in a main event. So he's done it. So if he can drag this fight out, it gets very interesting. Mm-hmm. I tend to still lean Romanov. You kind of have to. He's a heavy favorite. But I do think Tybura is a pretty dangerous underdog here because he just has – that's just a big flaw that Romanov has yet to prove right. he's been able to patch up. So um, Romanov, if he has, then all of a sudden we're talking, okay, this guy could be the real deal at heavyweight and things get very interesting. But we have to wait till Saturday to find out if that's the case. Yep. And I'm going to put these two together because it's pretty big favorites on the card. But two yeah. people that are that are getting a lot of um, getting a lot of shine this week that a lot of people are talking about. Tyson Pedro is once again a huge favorite since in his return. Um, his last fight, he was like a what was he a minus like 1100 or something. Yeah. Here he's like a minus 800 on some books against Harry Hunsucker, Kentucky's finest. Yes. And you have Miranda Maverick. Back at a minus like five, uh, well, it's taken. She's minus six hundred like now. Six hundred taking on yeah. Shana Young. So two heavy favorites. I myself think Random Maverick is worth every penny of that minus six hundred. I mean, I, I think would agree. Random Maverick hit a bit of a stunt in her in her development where she had those back to back losses. While I think we all can agree. The Macy Barber fight didn't really feel like a loss. The Aaron Blanchfield one was about as one-sided as you could get. But besides that, Miranda Maverick is shown to be the real deal in this division. 
leading the charge for those women's flyweights that are on the move upward and onward. Um, so I'm very excited just to see her back. But I want to see her get better matchups moving forward. I mean, if she, she has to win. I mean, Shana Young, I'm not trying to overlook her. I'm just saying with the win, can we please start getting Miranda Mavericks in top 15 matchups? Because she's a top 15 fighter in this division, no doubt. Yeah. And she missed out on the Molly McCann fight because she was already scheduled here. You know, yeah. Molly McCann did call her out. She was the one that said, you know, what'd she say? I'll fuck you anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. No homo, basically. So um, that was a great call. It was like the best I've ever heard. And unfortunately, you know, Miranda Maverick already had this fight. Uh, while Tyson Vedro, I'm just, and this is where my question for you is going to come in, Dom, because I'm just having a hard time figuring out what the UFC is doing here. I mean, well, I guess I'm not. I know what they're doing. They really like Tyson Pedro, it seems like, and they apparently they want they want to sort of get him back on track. You know, he had a long layoff. He was at one time pegged him and Taitui Vasa were supposed to be leading the charge, and they both were headline co-main on the same card. I believe it was in Australia, and then Taitui Vasa lost to JDS and. Um, and Tyson Pedro lost to Shogun Hua. So uh, that didn't really work out. And now, obviously, Taitui Voss has brought it full circle. But for Tyson Pedro, he had a longer layoff. He came back and got and, uh, defeated Hurricane Ike Villanueva his last fight. Here he goes up against Kentucky's finest, Harry Hunsucker. I don't expect much from Hunsucker here, but I'm just... Is is Tyson Pedro a guy worth this kind of investment in to where you sort of give him these high placements but give him sort of these soft opponents that he should run through? Yeah, it's interesting. This is two main card openers on a pay-per-view in a row, I think, since his comeback fight. And uh, I don't know. The, the guy has potential, but how much of it is left after such a long layoff and after losing the most important fights? I mean, he's four and three in the UFC at the end of the day, layoffs and competition aside, which isn't great. And now it just seems like they're kind of giving him quote unquote favorable matchmaking here and nothing mm-hmm. against Harry Hunsucker. He he's coming down to light heavyweight. I don't know if this is his first time mm-hmm. or second time, but he's going to be at light heavyweight, obviously for this one. I, I don't really know what to make of Tyson Pedro yet because how like with these, with hurricane Ike, who's an ultra tough dude, but he's, just kind of a middle-of-the-way guy that's just going to give you fun fights, and the same can be said for Harry Hunsucker. How much does a win, albeit regardless of how convincing it is or how he stops him or gets a brutal knockout, whatever the case, does it really go a long way in his further matchmaking? Like, at some point, we have to give him a step up, and I know he had the long layoff. you got to start him somewhere. I get it. But did we need two of those kind of back-to-back? And just to point out, this fight should be bonkers because Harry Hunsucker has 12 professional fights in his career. Noah, he's never been out of the first round in 12 fights. Yeah. He's seven mm-hmm. and five. So, and then Tyson Pedro also has a hundred percent finish rate out of his eight wins to go the distance. If you say no, it's minus 1400. If that tells you guys anything, looking to bet this fight or find some fight props, Godspeed. You're probably going to have to do some parlaying on this, no matter which way you do it, unless you play Harry Hunsucker Straight up, you're probably going to get some pretty crazy fucking odds. But it should be a fun fight. I don't really know what to expect. And the Miranda Maverick, I am just excited. But Noah couldn't have said it better. I just need to see her get a step up in competition. Really? Her and Tyson Pedro both 
uh, should they go in here and win convincingly as the odds books say they should, minus 600, minus 800 respectively, then please get them both to step up in competition. Well said, Dominic. And with that, we're going to move on to closing statements. I will just remind everyone that uh, typically in between we have our below average bet slip that we preview. We, of course, with the fact that we do recordings on Wednesdays, uh, some of our sportsbook friends, they're, they're a little inconsistent on when they have not just the, the, the odds on the card for the money line, but also a full all those prop bets. You know, we just want to have the – we don't want to have to handicap ourselves to releasing every bet that we do on our preview if we're yeah. not really ready. Right. So because of that, we're, we're still going to release them on our social media on Fridays. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at the Bajma at the B-A-J-M-M-A, and uh, you'll still get the bet slips there. And then, of course, we'll talk about them on the recap. But uh, we end the show only one way, Dominic, and that's with closing statements. The point of the show where me and Dominic can talk about anything and everything, MMA-related or not, lately this has been turned into a very ravenous and almost a battlefield in some ways, you know. This has almost become a verbal sparring in of itself lately. Yeah, uh, Dominic's talking about tying shoes. He's talking about pizza rolls versus whatever the fuck that other shit was. And then, then the last episode, he's like, "Actually, I'm taking a week off." And it's like, huh? How are you going to do that? All this momentum that you've built for yourself by being this guy that asks the questions. Yeah. So Dominic. This Thursday edition, I hope you weren't planning on saying nothing for this one because I kind of put you on the spot here. What do you have for closing statements? What is everyone's all-time favorite Teen Nick series? We've got great ones. We've mentioned one on this show. There's more than likely a clip at some point in this show, maybe if I remember to get it in there, of Drake and Josh. Zoe 101? Anybody remember Zoe 101? Oh, wait, does this include... Oh, this is... Is this Teen... Okay, I guess Teen... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ned's Declassified. I guess I'm having a hard time... Because at first, when you said Teen Nick, I went to Nick at Night, which is not the same thing. No, that's when you wake up at 3 a.m., George Lopez is staring you in the face, (laughs) and you're terrified of what's happening. So, Teen Nick, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we got the Drake and Josh. We got Zoe 101. Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Uh, Naked Brothers Band, even, I remember watching that. iCarly was a bit on the outskirts of all the greatness. If you want to go real far back, The Amanda Show. I mean, there's been a lot of greatness over the years, but I just feel like nothing can hold a candle to Drake and Josh. And when you count their bedroom, there's never been a bedroom in television history as cool as Drake and Josh's room. So I just want to know something simple, something easy, something that won't spark up a debate like pizza rolls and bagel bites. What's everybody's favorite Teen Nick show? Mine's Drake. Can we can we do our studio once we build one? Can we do it and model it, and make it exactly we, Drake and Josh's bedroom? It has to be exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Drake and Josh is the easy choice. I will say, very interesting timing for you to try to throw this in here and be non-controversial with it because uh, did you hear about? Um, I can't remember her real name. Sam from iCarly just released the autobiography. Yeah, yeah. McCurry. Yeah, um, detailing a lot of uh, potential abuse she might have faced by the hands of producers at Nickelodeon. Oh boy! You, you know, just look. It's just not the. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's not the best timing, I guess. Not good timing. But um, but I think it's a solid question because 
these are a lot of shows that dominated our childhood. Yeah. It kind of sucks that maybe there was some shitty people behind the scenes doing some really shitty things. Hopefully they can all go to jail forever for it. But, I mean, Drunk and Josh, man, I mean, I, I still watch that show and just smile oh, yeah. at it. I mean, oh, it just yeah. brings back so many good memories. I always wanted – me. so I, I grew up – my parents divorced when I was six. My pretty much right away had a stepdad in the equation. Great guy, still here to this day, Robert. Shout out to him. Um, he has four kids and three girls and a guy. So I immediately, like me and Corey, my stepbrother, just immediately hit it off. But the thing was, you guys have to realize I'm six years old. Corey's 14. Mm-hmm. So um, much. I I, sh- I tell him all the time like he, I had no I like again I had no idea that that would be weird for a 14 year old to you know hang out with a six year old yeah. he never made me feel like I was you know I don't know what's the word like like get away from me and yeah as kid like I'm gonna hang out with friends my age so I always tell him like he was the best big brother ever for that kind of stuff. But the Drake and Josh relationship is always what I wanted with the brother. And I yeah. can say with me and Corey, I was about as close as it was ever going to get considering there was an eight year yeah. age gap. But um, yeah, that show brings back a lot of good memories. I will say out of the shows you mentioned, the one that sort of, um, I think it's overlooked or underrated the most. Ned's Declassified. Has, yes, absolutely. That was my dad's, out of, outside of Drake and Josh, that was my dad's personal favorite to watch, funny enough. He laughed his ass off at that show. I yeah. mean, my dad laughs at everything. But that show in particular laughed his ass off. And I remember finding it very funny myself. So those are probably the two. Um, did you have uh, any any other ones you wanted to throw out there? Victorious is one like you oh, were talking about because iCarly was at the end and I remember having a lot of love for iCarly Victorious was like when I started thinking that those kind of shows weren't cool to watch anymore so yeah that like Sam really, and Cat yeah because yeah, my sister was still into it she's two years younger than me so I would still watch them but I was always like hate watching them you know yeah yeah if you go on the if you go on, if you include Disney in that too like there was a lot I mean, see I was never a Disney kid so oh really, really? yeah See, my dad's, if you ask my dad his favorite show that we watch to watch, he would either say Drake and Josh or Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, for sure. Mm, I feel like many would. Yeah. You know, That's a Raven, um, Wizards of Waverly Place, Mm. you know. Those shows were also very, um, I just had a lot of content to watch as a kid, basically. You gotta love it. So, that's it. We're out. We'll see you guys on Monday.